Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. It's the last Sunday of the month, and so we are focusing on prayer. And this morning I want to talk to you about prayer and spiritual warfare. Prayer and spiritual warfare. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And I'd like to pray for our time together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the songs that have ministered to our spirits. We thank you for the reminders from uh, the truth of your word, God, that everything that we hope for and every hope we have is because you are gracious to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we study a passage that's familiar to many of us, God, I pray that you would help me to communicate the, the burden of the message that you've given and how spiritual warfare is, yes, very real, and yes, there is armor that is available to us, but God, to see how this, this text of Scripture is actually something that, that puts our spirits and our hearts at rest. God, how a passage like the one we're going to study this morning brings so much rest and relief to our hearts and our souls, Lord. I pray that we would leave here refreshed, not because of any other reason than we know who Jesus is, what He's done for us, and how that is freely kindly and graciously given and shared with us because you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In his poem entitled The Woodpile, Robert Frost describes a walk in a swamp that had frozen over in winter. And so all the leaves have fallen and you could take a walk through the woods much more easily than when it's green and overgrown and, and you're having to fight your way through, but he's in the woods and he's walked far enough. He says, I don't know where I am, but I just know that I'm far from home. And he happens upon a pile of wood in the middle of nowhere. Now, this isn't just a pile of wood that just fell together somehow. This is wood that has been chopped and quartered and, and stacked against a tree and a stake was put down. And, and it was obvious that someone had gone through a lot of work to chop the wood and, and make this wood pile to be used in a fireplace or in a campfire. But Frost talks about how it's so obvious that it had been sitting there for so long. It had, it had a, a growth, kind of like a, a kudzu, that had grown and wrapped around it and bundled it, he says. It, it's obvious it's been sitting there for a while. And he has this, this, these lines towards the end of the poem where he says this, I thought that only someone who lived in turning to fresh tasks could so forget his handiwork on which he spent himself the labor of his axe and leave it there far from a useful fireplace to warm the frozen swamp as best it could with the slow smokeless burning of decay. And I think Frost's whole point is that there is this, this great potential in that woodpile and he marvels that someone could forget something that has so much potential that he has spent so much labor 
that only someone who's always constantly looking for the new thing, the next thing, the, the next thing that interests them could forget about it. This line, I thought that only someone who lived in turning to fresh tasks could so forget this great resource. That's a line that strikes me as applicable to many in churches today. We are so quick to look for another resource, for another Bible study, for another show that we watch that will help us to grow in our faith. We want the next fresh thing. We're constantly turning to fresh tasks. Now, all those things are good. Bible studies, podcasts, YouTube channels, those are all well and good. But often, we as Christians neglect the greatest resource we have in the Christian life, but especially in spiritual warfare. And we neglect this great woodpile to our detriment, to our, to our coldness, to our chill. If you feel like your Christian life is cold, perhaps it is because you've neglected this great woodpile that is available to you. And that woodpile is obviously prayer. Oh, how often we neglect the benefits and the blessings of prayer So I want us to look at what Paul says about prayer in the context of spiritual warfare. But before we we dive in really to verse 18 and what verse 18 says, I want us to, to understand two things about the context that verse 18 occurs. Okay, So there are two, we might say, preambles to the main idea this morning. Two truths that I, I feel like you need to understand before we talk about the main idea. Number one is prayer is a key component to spiritual warfare. Prayer is a key component to spiritual warfare. We know this from several ways, and we'll get to that. But notice in verse 14, Paul says, Stand, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist. That's, that's one command he gives. Look at verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. If you go back to verse 10, he says, be strengthened. Verse 11, put on. So he's giving these commands for spiritual warfare, things that we are to do. And then he gets to verse 18 saying, pray at all times. So the context of Paul's demands begins all the way back in verse 10. And they're sprinkled throughout. But then he concludes with this pray at all times. He he concludes with prayer. So notice in verse 14, he says, stand, and then he says, therefore, and then he proceeds to tell us how to stand. So Paul outlines the nature of this battle, this spiritual battle that we're in, in verses 10 through 14, but then he tells us, what are we to do? At the very least, he gives us these commands, and he concludes what I would think is the most important. He says, we must pray. Prayer is a key component for spiritual warfare, both for you as an individual and for us as a church. Prayer is a key component. You say, what's the difference? Why does it matter? Why does prayer matter so much? Why, why does Paul give an emphasis on it? Well, notice you come to the part where they have all the armor, and perhaps you, you, you look and there's a... You think that Paul is just kind of tacking it on at the end. But notice, when he talks about the armor, he talks about them. For instance, look at verse 17. Take, on, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's it. 
right? That's a fairly short explanation. But look at, look at the difference between that and verse 18. There's a comprehensiveness. He talks more about it. He says, look how comprehensive. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So, so Paul is emphasizing prayer here. So why is prayer so important in spiritual warfare? Well, I want you to think about you've gone to visit a medieval castle. You're walking around and, and you're kind of walking through this museum and you come down this hallway where you see a long line of armor on the wall. Now, when you start looking at that armor and you can tell it's obviously on a mannequin, correct? Like there's not, unless it's like a haunted house type of thing, they're, they're, you're not scared of that. There's no animating force behind that armor. That armor is not good for anything because there's nothing living inside of it. When we think about prayer, prayer is the animating power. Prayer is what gives us life. It's what helps us to fill in and, 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 and flesh out the armor of God. It's the diff- prayer is the difference between armor on a mannequin and armor on a warrior. What good is a sword if there's no life to lift it? What good is a shield if there's no strength to wield it? So prayer is foundational for the effective deployment of all the armor and weapons that Paul talks about. That's why prayer is a chief component. Now notice, this seems counterintuitive, I think. Because when you think spiritual warfare, you're thinking about doing Paul says it primarily starts with being. The battle in spiritual warfare does not start with what you do. It starts with who you are. Spiritual warfare is just as much as about being. Being in God's word. Being in God's presence in prayer. God's word being in us. So, so here's what a misconception I think this helps to clarify. A lot of times we think spiritual warfare consists of we pray and then we go in the trenches. That's how we ought to fight spiritual battles. We, we, we pray, we get ourselves geared up, we're in the locker room, we give ourselves a pep talk, and then we go to battle. Paul is saying the battle starts in the prayer closet. That's where the trenches are. Prayer is not before the trench, it is the trench. It's where the war starts. And so to fail at prayer is to fail in one sense and to lose the battle from the very beginning. In other words, prayer is where the battle begins. I love what Calvin says. He says, Paul here now calls on the Ephesians to fight by prayer. And is that not a fundamental recognition that the, the strength, the victory, and the power comes not from ourselves, but from God. To sit, to take a knee, and to fight that way. That's counterintuitive to us. And so Paul tells us that prayer is a key component to spiritual warfare. Listen. You cannot compensate in spiritual warfare for a lack of prayer. No amount of armor that you might put on, no type of precautions that you might take 
are a substitute for being in God's presence regularly. So that's the first preamble. The second preamble that I want you to understand is this. Jesus Christ is the gracious warrior victor. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the gracious warrior victor. And I say that because I simply want to remind you this morning that when we talk about the armor of God, when you study this passage, the armor of God, I want you to know that this is an armor that comes to you used. You do not get new armor of God. It's been pre-worn, pre-battle tested. By whom? By the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know this? Well, you need to know, understand that every, every, every piece of the armor in this section has an illusion. What's an illusion? That is a, an author-intended cross-reference. The author wants you, Paul wants you to go back and look at that text to understand this text. Every single piece of imagery that, that you read in spiritual warfare has an Old Testament passage connected to it. And it tells us that Jesus is the one who wears the armor of God perfectly. So a lot of times what you'll hear is, you'll read a commentary or something, and they'll say the background of this imagery of, of armor and warfare is the Roman dress, how, how the Romans would have dressed the soldier's armor. But this assumption misses the fact that the rich background of the Old Testament is there where it describes God's armor, the armor that God himself puts on to rescue his people. So it's important to understand this for three reasons. First of all, it means that the victory in spiritual warfare has already been won by the Son of God who took on the armor, conquered death, conquered the devil, beat sin, beat hell, rose from the grave. He wore the armor first and now freely gives it to us. Jesus Christ is the gracious Warrior, victor. Your performance in spiritual warfare is not determinative for whether or not Christ succeeds in spiritual warfare. Let me say that again. Your performance in spiritual battle is not affecting the outcome whether or not Christ is victorious. He's already won. So understand that. Secondly, understand that your life, your victory. Look at me. Look. Your life does not depend on your performance in spiritual warfare. Some of you fought a battle this week and you lost Some of you are going to go into a battle this week and you'll be defeated like that. But your life is not dependent. Your salvation is not dependent on how well you wield the sword and the shield. Christ has already won. I 
I feel like you don't understand the gravity of that statement because nobody said amen. I don't want an amen. I want you to understand Christ has already won. He has won. It's done. Will never be questioned. Will never be changed. Will never be affected or reversed. He has won. You, believer, have been saved. It's important that we understand this because Christ has accomplished the victory in the armor, dressed in the armor of God. He has bought us, He has saved us, He has purchased us, He died on the cross for our sins that we might be reconciled back to God. But lastly, I want you to understand Christ is the warrior victor because Paul does give commands. But what I want you to understand is these commands come after Ephesians 1 through 3 that talk all about how God chose us, God loved us, God predestined us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy and love, made us alive with Christ and raised us and seated us with Him in the heavenly places that we have been saved by grace through faith. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. So yes, there are commands here, but these are commands That come after we remember God has graciously, lovingly, wonderfully, kindly saved us. These commands to to put on the armor of God, to stand, to pray. These come from a heart that is full of gratitude for everything that Jesus Christ has done for us. God's kindness and mercy to us in Christ are the backdrop against which we read verse 18 and the whole passage about spiritual warfare. So we've got... So understand this. The command to put on the armor of God is not a command to create the armor of God. It is a command to receive the armor of God. How do you receive it well? How do you even receive it? I feel like I just heard a message or or there was a sermon about how does all that good stuff get from heaven? What was the answer? Does anybody remember? Faith. Faith. Thank you. Faith. And how do we express that faith? By prayer. So because prayer is the chief weapon believers have in Spiritual warfare its the key component. And because Jesus is the gracious warrior victor, now let's talk about the main idea for this morning. I hope if you remember nothing else, it's this. Believers should pursue consistent, spirit-led, alert, persevering, and interceding lives of prayer. You got all that in the first time, right? No? Okay. If you remember nothing else, believers should pursue consistent, spirit-led, alert, persevering, and interceding lives of prayer. And because this is an exposition of Scripture, if you can't remember all that, just read verse 18. Look at what it says. I want to look at the facets of this passage. He says, first of all, pray at all times with every Prayer and request. So this is consistent prayer. Pray at all times. 
And this has been a repeated teaching throughout the year that we are called to have a lifestyle, a habit of prayer. I hope you've seen the importance of a life of prayer as we've talked about it. But the reason we can pray at all times is that there are all kinds of needs that we face and others face that need prayer. There's always something to pray for. Prayers should not be reserved only for certain occasions, but they should be a constant activity in our lives. Prayers should be as varied as their subject matter and as the circumstances of life itself. So when Paul says pray at all times, he's thinking about all the ways and all the reasons, all the situations that might elicit prayer from us. And whenever we're prompted to pray, we should pray. So in this consistent prayer, we're called, we're invited to bring our whole life, every facet, everything that happens in your life, every need in your life before God in prayer. I once got into a very deep conversation with a saint. She, uh, her name was Melinda. She was uh, two, two churches ago. She was a soul winner, if ever there was one. She uh, did not wait very long to talk to people about Jesus. And I, and I loved her spirit. She was so sweet. But we got in an argument one time about whether or not you had to pray about every single decision you make in the day. And I asked her, I said, do, Melinda, do you mean to tell me you pray about like which socks you're going to put on and without skipping a beat? She said, yes, I do. And I felt I was convicted, right? Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't pray about what socks I'm going to I put on. And if you, see, if you could see what socks I'm wearing now, you would know that's true. <laughs> I'll just show you, okay? I think I'm trying to manifest uh, lunch here. It's tacos, <laughs> all right? So, but, but she was this type of person that prayed about every single thing. And you might say, so Jason, should I pray about what? Well, let me tell you this. It, might, it wouldn't hurt, right? It wouldn't hurt. To bring that decision, she, she prayed about every single thing. And that's, that's the kind of attitude I think would, would help us. Maybe not praying about your socks, but, but there's maybe some other things that you could pray about in your life. But we are, we're absolutely called to bring all of our areas of life. Now, in spiritual warfare, how does that play out? Well, let me... Let me put it this way. If there's an area in your life where you say, I don't want to pray about that. I'm not going to pray about that. I've got that covered. I'm too ashamed to pray about that. Let me tell you this. If there's any area in your life that you will refuse to bring to the Lord, I can tell you where the enemy will attack you. Right there. You have pinpointed where Satan will try to attack you. So we are to live a life of consistent prayer, but we're also to live a life of spirit-led prayer. Look at what Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit. What does that mean to pray in the spirit? It means to pray under the spirit's influence and with his assistance. Understand when Paul says to pray in the spirit, he's saying that the spirit stands side by side with believers to prompt us to pray, to direct us how to pray, for whom to pray, how to pray for them. And the Spirit energizes us to pray for themselves, for, for, for ourselves and for them. So praying in the Spirit means that the Spirit envelops our prayer life. 
that we're led, we're prompted, we're directed by Him. Number three, alert prayer. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert. Stay alert. And I think this goes back to being constant in prayer. If we're going to be constant, we must be alert. Alertness requires diligence. It requires awareness. It requires commitment. Think about it. Why would anybody tell a soldier on the battlefield, be alert? Danger. The potential for danger. So think about this. A lack of prayer in your life should be an alarm, an alert that something is amiss. Now, this isn't an alert. Like you, so you ever notice on your phone, you get notifications? They're called notifications. You, do you know why? I don't know this is true, but you, do you know why I think they're called notifications? Because notifications doesn't sound pushy, right? Notification is like, hey... Just FYI, you may have gotten a text message, just saying, right? But what happens when you get like an amber alert, a weather alert, right? It's like, hey, listen, this is happening. You need to pay attention. You might need to do something about this right now. That's the kind of alertness we're talking about when it comes to prayer, staying alert, if you were walking outside in high grass and you heard something start rattling, would you just go, eh? Yeah. Oh, that's a notification. I'm just being notified, right? If you had a medical device that alerts you about your blood sugar, do you just look at it and say, eh? I'm just being notified. I might pass out, right? I, heard, I just saw one of our members say, some do. <laughs> Some do. Hey, if that's you, don't do that. <laughs> Alertness in prayer means that we are alert to the opportunities to pray, that we are alert to the dangers that are around us, but it also means an alertness to what keeps us from praying. What endangers our praying? What keeps you from praying? In other words, what I want you to understand is being alert in prayer means that you are a student of your own heart and your own prayer life. Be alert to what distracts you. Be alert to what draws you away so easily. Be a student of your own prayer life. I, I, I was recently uh, made aware of, of one of the habits in my own prayer life, and, and I made a change. One of the, things, the changes that I made was I realized that when I was so eager to, to get up and, and, you know, you're told... And it's not a bad thing, but you're told like first thing in the morning, get in the word, right? Get in God's word first thing in the morning. Be first thing in the morning. And that's what I would do, you know, most of the time. But, but then I started to realize first thing in the morning, I am not all there. I'm not. So what I did was I, I started thinking about what's something I could read, something that, that's edifying, that's, that's good, that'll kind of get my... My mental juice is flowing. And so now what I do is, is I get up and I'll read something. And that kind of wakes me up, have some coffee. And now that I'm alert, I transition into reading my Bible. Being a student of my prayer life 
has improved my prayer life. And I would encourage you to do the same, not just be a student of your prayer life, but a student of your own heart. You know what tempts you more easily. You know what sins your heart is more predisposed to commit. Being alert to these raises our alertness in prayer. So, be alert in prayer. But then we are to pray with all perseverance. And I think this is important because the opposite of alertness is dullness, sluggishness, wandering, apathy. And if that describes your prayer life, you, you might be in very real danger. But, but the flip side is with perseverance and intercession. Paul says we are to pray with perseverance. We are to see to it that we persevere, that we're patient in prayer, that we wait on and endure in prayer. I think it's obvious that one of the reasons Paul tells us to persevere in prayer is because we don't. That's not our natural inclination. We are so impatient. We are so short-sighted. We're so creaturely in our understanding of time and, and the, the working and timing of God's ways. But Paul says we are to pray with all perseverance. Number five, so we are to be a consistent prayer, spirit-led, alert, persevering, lastly, interceding. Not only are we to stay alert with perseverance, but with intercession. So you might, you might, let's just assume that you ran out of things to pray for yourself. That does not mean, therefore, that prayer has been completed because there's the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ Paul says, understand, there's never nothing to pray about when it comes to a believer's prayer life. Never. There's never a blank slate. There's never nothing to pray about. Part of warfare is not just surviving the battle, but seeing to it that your brothers and sisters survive as well. Part of spiritual warfare is not only praying for your needs, but for their needs, especially in spiritual warfare. It's, it's important that you pray for your church. Pray, pray for me. Pray for, your, pray for my family. Pray for my children. Pray for, for your elders and our deacons and their families. Pray for our Sunday school teachers, our nursery volunteers, our small group leaders. Pray for the, the children you see sitting in the room right here. Pray for their souls, for their hearts and their minds. Christian be alert and persevere in praying for your brothers and sisters. Persevere in praying and be consistent in praying for those who are sitting beside you, behind you, and in front of you. Why should we persevere? Why can we persevere? Go back to what we said, the battle is one. What I want you to see, what's beautiful about this interceding for the saints is praying for them sometimes your brothers and your sisters need you to believe for them. 
I'm not saying that you can save somebody. Understand that's not what I'm saying. But in the midst of spiritual battle, let's be honest, sometimes it's hard to see the victory. It's hard to believe that the battle has already been won. But when you pray for that person, you're believing for them. You're fighting for them. When I can't see the victory, when I can't see a way out, when you pray for me, that's, that's you seeing the victory and, and, and praying it over me. That's you believing and seeing when I cannot. And so we are to pray for one another, especially in spiritual warfare. So believers should pursue consistent, spirit-led, alert, persevering, and interceding lives of prayer. These are the five facets of prayer in spiritual warfare. And I want to conclude this morning. I, I want you to get a gospel sandwich this morning. We've talked about the good news of the gospel. Christ having won the victory. And freely giving it to us. You've heard the commands. And you might feel that that does not describe your prayer life at all and I want to close with the other part of the gospel sandwich and reminding you that we are to pray the saints it's not to win the battle the battle has already been won remember Jesus Christ is the triumphant warrior over Satan death sin and through his faithfulness and righteousness, his victory is now credited to us as if it were our own. Because Jesus stood firm in the battle. You, Christian, weak. I love that, that line that we sang. That, that, uh, what was it? Uh, I am weak. Uh, help me out here. The uh, I am weak. The last song we, we sang... Um, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Have you ever felt that way? You feel that way today? I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Christian, because Jesus stood firm in the battle, weak, fearful, and, and unprepared as we so often are, we too will ultimately stand. By faith, His righteousness becomes ours and in Christ, we have a shield of refuge in God who will never leave us nor forsake us. So what I want you to leave here, understanding about this passage, is that in the heat of battle, prayer is your refuge. Prayer is your weapon. Prayer is how you access the full armor of God. Understand if you... If, if you don't get this, understand how incredibly cruel it is for God to say this, for Paul to say this. Imagine you're in the midst of a battle, you've been like a physical battle. You've been fighting for your life. You're beaten, you're bloodied, you're bruised. You have no more strength. And then someone comes to you and says, put on all this armor. Have the strength to do it. Dig deep within yourself and fight some more. Versus, you're weak, you're tired, you're worn. And someone comes and says, we've already won. 
fight just a little bit longer. Here's my strength. And if you want all my armor that will bring you safely home, here it is. Do you see the difference? Do you see how prayer is how we don't create the armor of God. It's how we're clothed in the armor of God. Now I know, I know it says put on the armor of God. It says, verse 11, put on the full armor of God. That is a command, but how? How do you put it on? How do you get dressed? When you, if you think of this passage as every morning I get up and I put on my belt and I put on my vest and I put on my helmet, that's exhausting. That's burdensome. But if every morning you say, Lord Jesus, by faith I receive the armor that you freely give to me. And when I stand up and I walk out of that closet, no matter how tired, how weak, how worn I am, I am fully clothed in the armor of God. Do you see the difference? And the difference is Christ. The difference is that He is the gracious warrior, victor. So pursue this life of prayer, not to win the battle, but because Christ has already won the battle. Think about it. Prayer is when you, you see these celebrations, right? After a, a football team or somebody wins the game and they're in their locker room, they're all dancing and they're shouting and they're, when we pray, that's what we're going into. We're not going into the locker room where everybody's like, we're down 70 to zero, Right? No, we go into the one where they're partying because they've already won. Prayer is where we plug in and we download again the good news that Jesus Christ was crucified for sinners, that He took our sins on the cross, buried them in the grave, and rose again. Prayer is where we're reminded that He opened a way for us. So in the heat of spiritual battle, pray. Pray and receive. Be clothed in the armor of God that Jesus Christ freely gives you. As we come to a time of response, this is a chance for you to respond as the Lord leads. Maybe, maybe you've been convicted over your life of prayer. Understand what we have sang about and what you've heard this morning is that there is forgiveness. Maybe you understand prayer as something that you have to do in order to keep God happy or in order to, to demonstrate your own strength. Paul says in verse 10, Be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Maybe you feel too weak to wield the armor. Yes, you are. That's the point. That's why Paul says be strengthened by the Lord and His vast strength. So whatever it is you need this morning, the Lord is there. He will answer if you cry out to Him. I'll be down here at the front if you need prayer. If there's any way I can pray for you, I would be happy to do that. Happy to offer counsel. But I'm going to pray and it will be a time for you to respond. And then I'll close out in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Jesus, we thank You that the battle is not up to us. Yes, there are skirmishes here and there, but it's skirmishes against an already defeated enemy. 
the victory is yours. The armor is yours. The strength is yours. God, how wonderful and loving and kind that you share all of that with us. When we come in prayer and ask by faith for the strength, for the armor, God, we leave clothed, empowered, victorious, and none of that from ourselves, but all from you. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here who's struggling to believe the victory, God, remind them by your spirit that it's there, it's done. And God, for anyone who does not know you as Savior, Lord, maybe, maybe they've been defeated a million times and they're tired of being, they're tired of being enslaved to the sin and the darkness. God, may they cry out to you for salvation. Holy Spirit, however you see fit to move in this time, God, we welcome you to do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.